Welcome back to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. Thanks so much for joining in with us. I read the Michigan Capital Confidential Information Source constantly. I'm just trying to learn how to be a better citizen, if you will. And one of the principle of that piece of information is James Dixon. We have him on regularly, and he joins us today on the pod. James, how are you? Real good, Tony. How about you? I'm doing well. So we're talking by the time this airs, it'll be a couple days past. But I just thought it was interesting how I was watching President Trump's motorcade to go through Miami on the way to court for his court appearance on Tuesday. And I remember thinking as I'm watching that, it reminds me of OJ's (laughs) when he was in the white Bronco driving across LA. And you said, Something that I thought was interesting and funny in the same instance that it reminds you kind of of another motorcade and maybe the three most important motorcades ever. Right. I mean, you think about, you know, motorcades and the annals of American history and really three jump out at you. One is definitely Trump today. I mean, who's ever seen such a thing? It's just absurd. You know, the president going to court. It's just something our brains are not trained to see. And then the OJ thing, I mean, I was like 10 or 11 when that happened, and I remember it (laughs) because, you know, the whole thing is, will it really happen? I mean, there was a specter of suicide laced over that whole trip, so it was not a routine traffic stop. You know, so the amount of police and then also the very slow speed nature of it, it was like that movie Speed where they couldn't take the bus above 55 (laughs) miles per hour, like... It's like, why is everyone going so slow, but they won't stop him? It's just, and then, of course, unfortunately, the third one is JFK. You know, a guy can't even get through a parade in Dallas alive. You know, the governor of Texas ended up being shot. And then that was 60 years ago. November 22nd, this year is going to be the 60th anniversary. And I wouldn't plan anything in Dallas that day. So as I was watching Trump's motorcade, I switched to multiple stations, went to CNN, MSNBC, Fox, a couple other ones, and trying to look at it from a journalistic point of view, trying to see who was being the most fair and balanced. And, you know, what struck me more, I mean, obviously networks lean one way or another, even though Fox leans conservative, I would say that they were the most fair as they had some Democratic experts on there and you're getting kind of both sides of the story. But it just got me to thinking about how the media takes sides on this. And we're not supposed to, you know, we're just supposed to present the news and information and let folks know, you know, the facts and let them make up their own minds. And when we have opinions, we state that they're opinions and then move forward. It's just like the media doesn't see. You know, Tony, before the media was objective or even pretended to be, before it proclaimed values like that, it was partisan. And you did go to media outlets that were more along the lines of what you already believed. Mm -hmm. And so the media went away from that about 200 years ago. But I think there's a real honesty to that dynamic. Mm -hmm. Like at Michigan Capital Confidential. It is a conservative. It is a free market. It comes from some place and some point of view rather than no place and no point of view. 
And the thing is, neither does anyone else either. So, you know, it's always funny to me when someone says, oh, I love reading, you know, this Lansing reporter or whoever, this Washington reporter, because I can't tell what their politics are. Well, you're probably not looking close enough or you don't know how to really discern it. You don't know how to spot what they're asking and what they're not asking and who they're questioning and who they're explaining. And so these are things that the average person's locked out of. So they're left to think that it's all what it claims to be. So we say what we're about and what we believe up front. Others act in just as political a fashion while wanting to proclaim for themselves the credibility of objectivity. And to me, that's the real problem. Let your yay be yay and let your nay be nay. I don't pretend to be doing what the free press is doing, but most days the free press doesn't really pretend either. Well, recently I interviewed, actually, I'm not going to air that interview, but someone who's an editor-in-chief of a large entity here in the United States who claims that they're going to be fair and balanced. And we started having a conversation, then all of a sudden he starts talking about a lawsuit that Fox is in the middle of. And that let me know right away because we weren't even talking about Fox or conservative outlets or whatever, but that let me know where he was going right away. It's interesting. And see, that's exactly it. You have to be able to spot the clues. You have to be able to spot the talking points. When you know where it comes from, then you also know why they're using it. Sure. And as you piece together these intents, you know, we can see what people are really after, even if they're proclaiming to be, you know, under this neutral banner. And that's why there's no great push for media literacy in America. You know, <laughs> the average person thinks that the news would make you smarter. I think it's actually closer to true that the more news you watch and read, the more confused and misled you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Think about it. You read spin all day, and this is not even just in the what they cover or how they cover it. It's what they don't cover. What's on the front page? What's on the last page? What do they try to bury in the middle? And all of those things point to an anti-information source. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about voting here in the state of Michigan because the voting rules and laws are about to change. We'll do that next on Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. For something to grow, it takes time. Like the equity in your home. That's why LaughQ offers a home equity line of credit. Because frequent watering of your houseplants may be recommended. Now can we get a new roof? Not so much the rest of the house. Want the best rates for a home equity line of credit? Ask for LaughQ. Stop in today or go to LaughQ.com slash home equity. LaughQ, your credit union for life. Welcome back to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. We're talking with James Dixon from Michigan Capcom. And James, I recently read a piece by you and did a little digging into it. How we vote in the state of Michigan is about to change. 
talk about that story. Could change and likely will because, as the Democrats love to say, they hold all the gavels. There's nothing to stop them from doing it. So what you're talking about is national popular vote. And, you know, if I could wave a magic wand, House Bill 4156 would be a household name in Michigan because it's certainly going to have a consequence on all of us. You know, if there's one time when the people of Michigan do vote, it is in presidential races. And, you know, we've also enjoyed in most races a battleground state status. And all that is in the balance right now. All of that is at risk right now. So right now, when Michigan casts our vote for president, whoever gets the most votes in Michigan gets the electoral votes. That's not the only way to do it. Some states might do it where, okay, let's give the votes by congressional district. The top vote getter in each congressional district gets that district's votes. That would even make sense. But national popular vote could create a scenario where a candidate could lose in Michigan zero votes to 7 million and still get our 15 electoral votes. How could that be, right? You're probably saying, Tony, how in the world could such a thing happen? Because if the candidate who wins the so-called national popular vote, which, by the way, is not a certified result, it is a completely subjective result. You'd be asking Jocelyn Benson, our Secretary of State, and her counterparts to not just look at their own state and say who won that state. You'd be asking Jocelyn Benson to look at 50 states and make a subjective determination about the popular vote winner. And that's who would get Michigan's electoral votes, regardless of how the people of Michigan voted. Only in the event of a nationwide tie. So if 150 million people vote, there's not going to be an exact tied number. That's almost impossible. And only in the event of that impossibility would the Michigan vote tally decide who gets our votes. This is turning everything upside down, and they're trying to do it with the two-vote margin. So where are we in the process, and how soon could this take effect, you know, getting through both houses into the governor's desk? Well, it passed out of committee last week the Michigan House Elections Committee. And so now it's in front of the full Michigan House. They've been in session technically since 1.30. I mean, they could take it up today, tomorrow, or Thursday, or any other time. And then, so once it passes in the House, it would need to pass an identical form in the Senate. And then it would head to Gretchen Whitmer's desk for a signature. And why wouldn't she sign it? Every Democrat supports it. And a good amount of former Republicans, the Saul and Newsis types. I think Laura Cox, I even saw her name on it. They support national popular vote. So there's been the illusion of a bipartisan consensus created. What strikes me about this is it goes completely against the United States Constitution. And we hear a lot of arguments in regards to changing that because the times have changed. But as you know, the author's of that document just wanted us to be fair and balanced, if you will, and wanted everyone, whether you live in a small town in Wyoming or New York City, to have an equal opportunity of say in what happens in our elections, whether, you know, we're talking on a statewide basis or a nationwide or local. But it appears that that's not the case. 
No. And what's really striking about national popular vote is that the whole idea is rooted in sour grapes. You know, it started after the 2000 election and a belief that there has to be a better way, which is to say an extra constitutional way to elect the president. I would even say, James, that it might go back to 2016 because Hillary. So it started after Bush, you know, in the kind of the law school world. Right. Mm -hmm. And then through time and eventually, you know, enough of those people graduate, move on to the real world. Then by now, you know, now it's moving through state houses. So this compact, it would take effect if there's enough states to account for 270 electoral votes. 270 is what it takes to elect the president. That's the majority out of 538 districts. So with Minnesota joining on last month, they're at 205. If Michigan were to join on, that would bring them to 220 out of 270. Here's the good news, though, Tony. There is actually a few pieces of good news, three pieces of good news. One, the people of Michigan could stop it. It would be extremely expensive, but If you pass a constitutional amendment saying that the Michigan elector is faithful to the Michigan electorate, that would override this, which is a mere law. Two, Congress could stop this. And people talk about, well, you know, not every interstate compact necessarily comes up before Congress. And while that's true at some level, it's tough to imagine Congress looking at basically a plot of blue states conspiring to steal the presidency and not say, oh, we're going to have our say on that. It's tough to imagine that Congress would just let them do it and not at least give its approval to this. Then even if it is approved, it would still have to come through the court system. So the Supreme Court in the end is going to ask them an uncomfortable question. And that question is, Why not just change the Constitution if you want to change the way America votes? And there's no good answer to that question. When we come back from a quick break, we're going to talk with James David Dixon, the managing editor of the Michigan Capitol Confidential. We're going to talk a little bit more about political news that we can expect for the next few months here in Michigan. We'll be back next on Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. Looking for high-quality office furniture on a budget? Stop by the office outlet at 516 North Larch in downtown Lansing for huge savings. We've got new and used office furniture from brand-name manufacturers, all at discounted prices. Browse through 5,000 square feet and save on seating, desks, files, storage, and more. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. The office furniture outlet is your destination for office furniture on a budget. Visit us online at officeoutletyes.com. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We're talking with James David Dixon. All right, James, so let's put you on the spot here. So as we really get deep in the second quarter here and get in the third quarter, what do you foresee happening legislation-wise here in the state? What should we be keeping our eyes on? Definitely national popular vote. I would say that, and I would say the other bill that concerns me I've probably said this before on your show. These are the two most important bills in Michigan. 
So national popular vote is one, but also House Bill 4235. They've kind of slow rolled it, but this bill would make union dues tax refundable. And also, so there's a similar law in California to this, except in California, I believe there's a $300 million cap statewide. There's no cap on this one. So imagine a world where your union charges you $5,000 of dues a year. You grumble, but you pay it because you know you're going to get all that money back from the state treasury. Then your union donates to Democrat politicians. Those Democrats keep, you know, doing things that are favorable to the union and the money cycle all continues. This is not just the breeding ground for corruption. This is corrupt in and of itself. You want to join a union? Best of luck. No one's stopping you. But that need not be a subsidized activity. And so I think it's a symbol of a Michigan that is moving away from being a state of 10 million people and making policy that works for all different types of people into being a mere friends and family plan for the people who are friends of Lansing. And as I researched that story some weeks ago, I found it interesting that a lot of media entities either one, weren't covering the story at all, or two, had no concern, (laughs) which was mind-blowing to me. No, I mean, the Detroit News just had a story recently about a bill that would teach the Christian foundations of America, and they made it sound like it was just the craziest idea in the world that America had Christian foundations, and some of the critics of it were lawmakers, Democrats, And somehow it became about a matter of church and state. We're talking about what's taught in history class, not establishing a state religion, just arguments that are stupid on their face, managed to make it into prominent newsprint and go unquestioned. Or how in education K through 12, there is the huge push. In some instances, it's occurring already, but there's a huge push, not only in our state, but across America, to teach non-education type, the reading, writing, arithmetic, public speaking, that kind of stuff, as opposed to social things. And, you know, I still have a problem, and I guess this is kind of editorializing this, being a parent. That someone else, especially from a school district, is going to tell me what I can teach my kids, what I can't teach them, and what I can allow them to do. I can't believe there isn't more of an uproar than there has been about that. Well, for there to be an uproar, people would have to be paying attention. And if there's anything we've learned is that the good people in America, the so-called silent majority, well, why were you silent? Because you thought everything was okay. You thought everything was a-okay, and it took. People disrupting your peace and quiet of watching the TV and imagining that sports is all there is to life. It really is us. It really is us. I mean, I think about in the black community, you know, we've watched our families be dismantled for six decades now by the government, by the idea that, hey, you don't need a dad in the house. Uncle Sam will just keep cashing checks. And it ruined us. And, you know, but as the Bible says, as Rumi talked about, We often in life fall into the traps we set for others. And so now fatherlessness has become the great American curse of every demographic almost. 
And as someone who is a mixed race person who was raised in a fatherless home by a single parent, I find it amazing that no one really attacks the challenge of the disintegration of the African-American family and really of any family where the father isn't there, where the father now has no value or or even the father thinks, "Eh, I don't need to be around. I got to take care of myself. How we don't address that, because obviously it's affecting society. Well, I think that is a testament to how prevalent feminism is and how weak men are. So we all have to buy into the idea of the woman king, who she don't need no man. She don't need no help. She can do everything by her lonesome, except she can't. And I would say fatherlessness is a much bigger problem than any issue related to mothers in America. So think about this. Outside of, you know, like a Tony Soprano, pretty much everyone has a positive relationship with their mother. And the exceptions, there's almost enough, you know, so few of them, you can name them all. But maybe dad, that's like 50-50. So when we look at these things, we don't look at what's the same across all these people. We look at what's different and what's common to the unhappiest, unsuccessful people is they don't have that second parent. It is that relationship with dad that is actually the more important relationship. It's actually a testament to how great moms are. Everyone has a good relationship with mom. Dad is a 50-50 story, and the people with no dad are the worst off. We got to get out of here, but the reason I brought that up is I keep hoping that we will address that. I know it's a social issue, but it goes way beyond that, and we need to come together with something comprehensive to really address that. But that's for another podcast. You know, people say it's a social issue. We're social animals. Yeah. So let's figure it out. James David Dixon is the managing editor of Michigan Capital Confidential. You can follow him on Twitter. James, I know we'll talk again soon, sir. Thank you so much. Hey, Tony, thank you so much. I'm Tony Conley. This has been Media Business on the Michigan Business Network.